3: Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like what you hear, please press subscribe. And also, if you could leave a review and rate this podcast, that would be amazing. Um, Thank you to the many of you who have already done that. It means so much to me, and I read every comment. So please review, rate, subscribe, and uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much to Riley Versa. For sponsoring today's podcast, Riley Versa is a woman-owned line of bags created with the idea that one bag can really have it all. Riley Versa's interchangeable covers, pouches, and straps allow you to be boldly versatile. Get it? Versa? Riley Versa? Versatile with your fashion choices at all times. With one seamless switch, you can transform your bag into a completely new one in seconds. Riley Versa makes an amazing baby bag, too, with two colored removable pouches, a detachable bag that allows it to be crossbody or backpack, and spill-proof interior lining. Mental note, this is a great baby gift. They also offer DIY customization and hand-painted customization. In fact, a friend of mine gave me one of these bags, and it is really awesome, and I love it, and my kids are fighting for all the little pieces that go inside. Anyway, Riley Versa is offering a special gift with purchase at checkout with code Zibby. So go check out um, Riley R I L E Y V E R S A dot com. Riley Versa, check out with code Zibby for your special gift. I interviewed Jay Courtney Sullivan. At the beginning of the pandemic, but I hope that her episode, which I'm releasing today on her publication day, is still relevant. We talked about timeless themes, and I just adored talking to her. So if there are any things that seem out of date, that's why. But congratulations to her today on her publication, and so glad to have gotten to know her. For those of you who don't know, Jay Courtney Sullivan is the New York Times bestselling author of the novels Commencement, Maine, The Engagements, and Saint for All Occasions, and now, as of today, Friends and Strangers. Maine was named a Best Book of the Year by Time Magazine and a Washington Post notable book for 2011. The Engagements was one of People Magazine's top 10 books of 2013, and an Irish Times. Best Book of the Year, and soon to be a major motion picture, produced by Reese Witherspoon and distributed by Fox 2000, and it will be translated into 17 languages. Her latest novel, Saints for All Occasions, was named one of the 10 best books of the year by The Washington Post, a New York Times Critics Pick for 2017, and a New England Book Award nominee. Courtney's writing has also appeared in the New York Times Book Review, The Chicago Tribune, New York Magazine, Elle, Glamour, Allure, Real Simple, O, The Oprah Magazine, and many others. She is co-editor with Courtney Martin of the essay anthology Click, When We Knew We Were Feminists. In 2017, she wrote the forewords to the new editions of two of her favorite classic novels, Anne of Green Gables and Little Women. A Massachusetts native, Courtney now lives in New York with her husband and two children. And by the way, Friends and Strangers has been on every most anticipated list and best book of the summer list there basically is for 2020, including mine, which I wrote for Good Morning America. Enjoy the episode. So welcome, Courtney. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to
0: Read Books today. Thank you so much for having me.
3: And your book is coming out at the end of June, but we're recording this mid-quarantine, so it's via Skype. I just wanted to get that out there to set the stage. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So hopefully by June, we will all be out and about in bookstores buying your book, I'm hoping. I hope so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I hope we'll be out and about by then, yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Would you mind telling listeners what Friends and Strangers is about?
0: Sure. So Friends and Strangers is primarily it's about the relationship between a new mom who's just had her first baby and just left New York City and moved upstate, which she's sort of ambivalent about the move. And she doesn't have any friends where she's living, feels kind of isolated, and she ends up hiring a college senior to babysit her child. And the two of them develop a friendship. And it's kind of a complicated friendship, of course, because one of them is the other's employer. And their lives become very enmeshed in a lot of different ways. But I think, you know, in a larger sense, the book is very much about motherhood and women at different sort of stages of transition in life. You know, I think there are years of our lives where... We don't have huge life altering transitional moments. And then there are years of our lives when we have our first baby or we're graduating college and starting out in the world. And each of these women is really kind of at a crossroads. Probably the friendship they develop and the intensity of it would never have occurred at any other point in their lives, but it does. And, you know, it also kind of takes a look at sort of, what does it mean to have a safety net? What does it mean in this particular climate in which we live with the gig economy, with massive class divides in this country? What does it mean to be supported in a lot of different ways? Interesting. I like it. (laughs) I think that's the first time I've described the book. To anyone. So. Well done.
3: I, I know. <laughs> I was just, I don't know why I put authors on the spot like this. It's so mean of me, but no, I like launched good. into it right away. Like, okay, need your elevator pitch. But I actually feel like it, it's so interesting to hear how everybody responds. And sometimes I feel like I have a different take on the book sometimes, or like that I would describe it a little differently. Anyway, so thank you for getting through that. <laughs>
0: now, now I want to know how you would describe it.
3: Oh no, I? I shouldn't have set myself <laughs> up like that. No, you did a perfect <laughs> job. I would never contradict you. <laughs> I have to say, reading it, I was like, Courtney is in my brain. Like, these are the things that I thought when I had a baby at home. And just you tapped into that feeling so well. Like, from the very beginning of, like, wanting to, like, hate your husband because he's not helping. But you don't really hate your husband to, like, you know, how are you going to deal when the baby, like, what if the baby, what if you do something wrong and the baby stops breathing? Like, all the fears and all the common feelings. Just, like— Boom! You were like right there, and like the type A momness, and like clinging to your social group, and all of it. So, how the people who have babies like six weeks older than you are the prophets in your life? Mm
0: -hmm. I mean,
3: how how old are your? You have tell me about your family situation and how much this book parallels reality, if at all.
0: So, my son is two. He's going to be three in June. So he'll be turning three right when the book comes out. My daughter is 18 months old, so they're 16 months apart. And I started writing this really when my son was, when I was pregnant with him, but really a lot of it when he was brand new in the world. And at that point, you know, the first six months of his life, it was kind of, it was impossible to sit down and write actual chapters. But I was emailing myself, you know, I had my phone in hand for better or worse all the time. And I would you know think, "Oh, I've got to remember this," or I've got to put this into the book because I knew the book I was going to write, and I emailed myself under the subject line "Babysitter," and then six when he's six months old, and I'm actually sitting down to start writing the book, I just went into my email, searched for the word "babysitter," and you know a hundred emails I've sent to myself in the last six months pop up with all these little observations, which I otherwise I'm sure would have forgotten most of them. 3 hours after they happened, you know. So, I do feel like that part of it, the new mom part of it is so kind of true to my own experience. And also the experiences of my friends. I was very intrigued, you know, finding out being kind of welcomed into this world of like moms on Facebook and these groups that they have. And they're they're really intense in a lot of ways. You know, I'm in a few different ones. I'm in one for alumni of my college. I'm in one for moms in my neighborhood and they all have kind of a different flavor about them. Some are incredibly confessional where women are just saying everything about, you know, their how they just can't stand their husbands for one more second, you know, or they they cannot stand their children for one more second. And some of them are more like, what's the best gymnastics class for a two-year-old? You know, so I just found it all really fascinating that in some ways this is where women are gathering now. And it actually doesn't even have to be motherhood that is the glue. You know, there are these groups for people who all supported Hillary Clinton or all love books or whatever it is, right? And oftentimes the conversation end up being so much deeper and so personal. And as you said, this, this notion that anyone with a child six weeks older than yours, you know, they are, they're a prophet. I, like I said in the book, you know, they're, They know everything. And now I find it, you know, kind of gratifying because all these women were so kind to just tell me what they knew. And now I can tell other people what I know and they think I'm I'm brilliant, but no, I've just done it now. You know? I guess the difference with me between me and and Elizabeth, the character in the book, she really, really only wants to have one child. And obviously I, I have two kids under they were both under two for a long time. And so th- that wasn't my feeling, but also I was curious about it because I do have a lot of friends who are completely madly in love with their babies, but they, they just want to have one. And I thought that was an interesting thing to explore. Especially since her husband felt differently. Yeah. And that's a huge thing, right? Because, you know, marriage, marriage is also something that gets really sort of explored and, and dug into in this book. And, it's kind of if you're looking at marriage from a distance, you know, when you're younger, when you're the, the age of Sam, the college age babysitter, it's kind of like, well, you just love someone and you, you that's it. Right. But actually, there are all these intricacies that we have to work out with this other person, including the most important details of our lives, such as how many children are we going to have? And when you have different strong feelings about that, it's very tricky.
3: And I also think people sometimes don't know what they want about ki- until they start having kids, like I have a lot of friends who were sure they'd want to have tons of kids, and then they had a kid, and they were like, "No, no, no <laughs> that's,
0: that's <laughs> <Yeah>. good <laughs> absolutely, that's absolutely right, absolutely, and I think elizabeth this you know was definitely true of me as well that my son, when he was born, I was thirty six and so I had gone through a period in my 20s, where I was like baby crazy, and I would have loved to have three babies in my studio apartment in Brooklyn, you know, whatever, but that wasn't going to happen. And then I kind of got to the point in life where people are actually having babies, and I was really ambivalent about it. I wasn't sure because it is the ultimate commitment you can make, right? Like you do this thing and you cannot change your mind. And I was pleasantly thrilled to find that the second my son was born, I was madly in love with him, but it can kind of go any which way. So that was something else that I really kind of wanted to look at. And I think there is a lot more ambivalence about it than we maybe talk
3: about. Very true. And I love how you point out, just going back for a second to the mom group thing, because I also find that super interesting. And I mm-hmm. spent like hours on these group boards before I had my twins, which is now almost 13 years ago, like about the different strollers and which one was the best one. I spent hours. And as you point out, you are you were in the book, well, not you, Elizabeth, in the book, would spend hours on like trips that she wasn't even planning on taking with kids. Like, why was she? But that's like what you do. It's how you prepare. Yeah, one of my dear friends who
0: I actually met when I was pregnant with my son and her daughter is within a week of of his age. We were in Central Park with our kids when they were like just about one. And she just looked at me and she said, remember when we thought that strollers mattered? Like it was really gonna matter which stroller we had. It was gonna be make or break. But what I didn't tell her at that point was, because I was all, I got pregnant with my daughter when my son was seven months old. So at that point, when she said that, it was so funny because I was actually as obsessed with the perfect double stroller <laughs> at that juncture as we had previously been. So she was already at the stage where she was able to laugh at how insane we'd been. And I was like, actually, I'm still yes. every bit as crazy as that. <laughs> but now I can look back and say, wow, yeah, that was crazy.
3: My So I have twins, but I also have two other kids and they are 17 months apart. So I feel you with the kids <laughs> in those two ages and not knowing how to cart them around properly and whatever. Uh-huh. But the thing about the neighborhood group in particular is how, which you point out, which is so true, that everybody lives in within 20 blocks of each other and shares all of this stuff. And yet you're probably walking past them every day and not even knowing it on the street because especially in Brooklyn, where you know, where this her circle was, they're like all there right on top of each other. And yet you can be free to say all these secrets in this group. I don't know. It's, yeah, I'm it's glad very you,
0: weird. yeah. It sort of <laughs> feels anonymous and then it sort of feels intimate and it's just weird, you know, because actually it's not anonymous and not actually it's not intimate, but somehow it feels like both of those things. And I also, you know, the fact that you spent this book
3: addressing the relationship between a babysitter and a mom, cuz at the and and even how you were saying how you know like some of the Tibetan or Caribbean women in in Brooklyn were taking the place of the grandmother you wish you could provide from your own family, but yet you really can't. But the relationship is so important and it often sort of eclipses every other relationship in your life because you're so in need of that support. And yet it's not often written about as much, especially not in a beautiful literary way, the way that you tackled this book. So tell me about deciding to write it about that relationship as its center.
0: So it's kind of funny, I think novelists, or at least in my case, and in the case of a lot of other fiction writers, I know, you know, there's certainly, I think Danny Shapiro described it beautifully. She said, like, some, something you're going to write about will have, I think it was Danny. I hope it was Danny. I'm pretty sure it was We'll you. pretend. <laughs> she said that there'll be a certain shimmer around something that lets you know, oh, I'm going to write about this. You know, this is something I'm going to write about, but it might not always be the moment. And a lot of times you're kind of putting something in your pocket for later and saying, I I know I'm going to write about this, but I'm not ready yet, or it's not the right time or whatever. And so I think it was probably six years ago, five or six years ago, the relationship in the book is very, very loosely based on the relationship I had as a senior in college with this woman whose children or baby I, I nannied for.
3: A month which is so much less than traditional therapy and you'll get a perfect therapist for you there are thirty-five thousand therapists to choose from so you'll find the right one get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com moms don't have time today to get 10 percent off your first month that's BetterHelp, help help.com
0: moms don't have time i was there to give a reading several years ago. And I think this woman really put me kind of on my path to coming to New York City, becoming a writer. I had all kinds of terrible plans for myself for after graduation. And she was sort of like, well, maybe you should think about this. And so, you know, we fell out of touch as you do with people like that. And But now it was many years later, I was back at Smith to give a reading. And when I came out, it was very cinematic. I came out of this hall where I was giving the reading and I walked out and it was like drizzling rain and I was walking to my car, standing at the crosswalk, waiting to cross and this big SUV pulled up and there were three kids in the back and driving the SUV is this woman who I used to be so close with. And I was just like, oh my gosh, and I was kind of waving. and she, she had no idea who I was and kept going. And I kept thinking about that moment I was back in New York that same night and I was having dinner with my friend, Jamie Attenberg, who's also a novelist. And she, she was like, I told her the story and she said, oh, that should be your next novel. But I didn't know what, what would I write about that? You know, at that point, I only had the experience of having been the babysitter and I kind of thought there was something to what Jamie was saying, but I wasn't sure exactly what it would be. And so I went on and wrote a totally different book, my book Saints for All Occasions. But by the time it came around to what will I write next, I was pregnant. And so suddenly I thought, oh, now I've kind of been or soon will be both these women. You know, I've, I've been in the role of the mom. I've been in the role where I soon will be. And I started writing it from Sam's point of view, the babysitter, leaving the mom part blank thinking, I don't know what she would be thinking or feeling yet, but I will probably know soon. So I'll just wait and see. And so in that way, this kind of was the perfect time to write this book. I think my other novels have been very research heavy and I love doing research, but this book was written in the two years during which I had my two children. And it it was, its kind of more raw in a way because of that you know it just kind of came out but I feel like
3: you can tell like reading it you're like the author is going through this like this is not like (laughs) like this is what is actually on her mind right now like you could feel it
0: (laughs) and there's nothing else on my mind right now because that's (laughs) all I can
3: handle yes yeah but it's mm-hmm. good. But that's what makes it so good because you're like Thank immediately you. like in conversation with you. <laughs> Not that you know this, but as Thank a reader. <laughs> you. Good. So Thank how you. did you, with little kids and writing this, how did you do this? Like, when did you do it? Did you get up early? Like, I know you sent the emails to yourself, but.
0: Yeah. So I I was home with my son until he was six months old. And at that time, we we found an amazing nanny who has been with us ever since. During, well, I guess it was right when he turned one was when, this is about to take a weird detour, but. Go (laughs) for it. I love weird detours. (laughs) Okay. So right when he turned one, which was June of 2018, was when the Trump administration started separating families at the border. And I was, I had a one-year-old and I was five months pregnant and I like, I just couldn't bear it. I mean, none of us could bear it because it was horrendous. But there are so many things that we can't bear, but we do, you know, in the news all the time. But then I feel like something will jump out at you and you're just like, no, I can't. I can't stand it. And I I felt like I had to do something. And so I got involved with a group called Immigrant Families Together, which was started by a mom and queen. And we're all volunteers. All of us, besides one, are, are mothers. We're all women. And we just started bonding moms who were in immigration detention centers out, raising money to bond them out, bonding them out, getting them reunited with their kids, and then supporting them on an ongoing basis with legal, with housing, with medical, all that stuff. So that work actually sort of became my full-time job. So even though I had a nanny with my son and then with both my kids so that I could be writing, it just... As it turned out, I spent most of my daytime sort of business hours when people are at work talking to lawyers and, and talking to realtors and going, you know, all doing all kinds of crazy things all the time for immigrant families together. And so what I ended up doing was writing this book really in the middle of the night. I, I like, you know, when you have babies, like there's this adrenaline, right? And so when I finished this book, I was just like, oh my God, I am so tired. (laughs) But I hadn't realized, I somehow hadn't realized until then. So basically like, you know, come home at five, our nanny would go home. I would, I would be with the kids till bedtime. They would go to bed. I would write until my daughter had her waking up, you know, moment at two in the morning or whatever, feed her and then go to bed. And that seemed normal. I'm impressed. Crazy, crazy. That's and sick. as I said, when I finished I finally just went, "Oh, I think I've been running on adrenaline for a year and a half and I'm really tired and want a nap." But <laughs> now I will not get one because we are in quarantine with no childcare. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. So if you tell me you're writing are you writing another book now in quarantine? If if you can pull this off, God. I will like bow <laughs> down like
0: <laughs> God no. But what I am doing is I am doing that email thing again. I think I'll I'll always do that. And I was actually just talking to a class, a fiction writing workshop that a friend of mine leads actually at Smith. And I was supposed to be there this week to talk to her class, but of course they're not there. So we did it over Zoom and I was telling the students, you know, because they are concerned as I think writers at all levels are about the fact that they want to be writing, they want to be productive, but they just kind of can't be. And I was telling them like, there are just these times in life when you can't be for whatever reason. But you can find these little ways to keep it alive or keep the story alive. For me, that email thing has really done the trick. So I'm doing that again with this book because I think when you're writing a novel, you know, the whole world, you kind of see it through the lens of that novel. So you little things happen and you think, oh, that might be good for that character or I should put that in here. So I do have a rough idea of what I'm going to write next, but I haven't actually sat down and written anything.
3: I love that email idea. Cause I'm also, I also, I'm like, well, this, I won't forget. This is so funny or this is like so perfect. And then of course it's gone.
0: I know, I know <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's so bad. I try to do it too with like what my kids say. I try to write down what they say in a notebook, but inevitably if it's written down in a notebook, I, I'll go like weeks and weeks without writing anything. And then, like you said, I don't remember what the heck it was.
3: <laughs> do you, can you give any general like teasers as to what this book might be
0: next? Usually I would, but I feel like I shouldn't because it's very weird and I don't know if I'll actually stick with it.
3: (laughs) no problem. (laughs) So what other advice, like what other advice did you give to the students? What advice would you give to other aspiring authors?
0: Well, I think, you know, the, what advice would I give? I think there, it depends on sort of, you know, where they are and what they need to know about. But I think generally speaking, reading is a huge part of, of writing, you know, it's always been a huge part of my writing life. And I think when you're writing, I think different people feel different ways about this, but my feeling is it's almost like an athlete needs to eat really well because our reading is, is our fuel, you know? So you want to be reading things that inspire you that in my case, I I like to feel really jealous of the person who wrote it and like, Oh, I hate this person. This book is so good. I could never write this you know, that's instructive. That is when you're learning about the craft of writing just by reading. And I think, like I said before, you know, just the sense that like not every day is going to be, at least not for me, is the day to sit down and write 15 perfect, gorgeous pages of prose. You know, some days are for just like hunting and gathering and and living in the world. And if you're a writer, you have a certain degree of Sensitivity about you as a human being. And so, most likely, you cannot, you know, be in the midst of a global pandemic under quarantine and say, like, I just feel really inspired to write my novel today. Now, some people might, and that's great. They probably do not have children, but that's another aspect of the whole thing. But I guess it's just like being kind to yourself, you know, it happens when it happens. I am not a writer who writes every day. I know there are some who do. I think the main thing about rules for writing is, like, there are not any rules for writing, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) So it's really important and instructive, I think, to listen to as many writers as you can and sort of, like, hear the, you know, hear what you think will be helpful for you and take that away from the process. So, like, if it takes the pressure off to know that some writers don't write every day, I don't write every day, you know, but if it, if it helps you to be disciplined, to be in the world of your story, to write every day, as some writers do, then by all means do that. You know, I think if you take many fiction workshops over a period of years, you'll kind of see like, and now I'm teaching some workshops and I hear students say, oh, but someone else said you have to do it like this. The fact is you don't have to do it anyway. You know, like it's not heart surgery. It's not, there's no plan. You, you find your own way. The other thing I told these students the other day, which I also stole from Danny Shapiro, but I did give her credit, is through Danny I learned about this book called I Remember by Joe Brainerd. Do you know this book? I don't. It's so amazing. It's a book that came out I think in the 50s, maybe in the 70s. I think maybe I think it came out in the 70s about the 50s. But anyway, Joe Brainerd is this gorgeous poet artist and he's writing just his memories, collecting his memories from life, starting from childhood on up. And some of them are very personal and some of them are, are just about the world as he observes it. But every paragraph in the book begins with the words, I remember. And many of the paragraphs are just one sentence long. And I find like this is an amazing place to go when you're feeling stuck as a writer, is to do this exercise. Like you literally sit down for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you have, And don't censor yourself and don't think about it too much. Just sit down and write each paragraph. I remember, whatever it is, drop down a line. I remember, I remember, especially if you're doing something like pulled from your own life. So I was trying to write something about my childhood, about the neighborhood I grew up in, where generally speaking, I think, oh, I have so many memories of that time. And then I sat down like in front of my Word document to write the story and I thought, Oh, I don't remember anything, you know, but when somehow doing this exercise unlocks so much of what is in there. So I've just found that to be really helpful. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs of Boston in a town called Milton.
3: Awesome. And just quickly, because I feel like I missed this part of your life story. How did how did you become a bestselling author to begin with that now you're embarking on yet another book?
0: <laughs> how did I? So when I was in college, when I was at Smith, I did an internship at the Atlantic Monthly Magazine, in Bo- which was then in Boston. And I had the great good fortune of getting to assist Michael Curtis, who was the fiction editor there. And he asked me, you know, do you write fiction? And I said, I did. I was very nervous. I was like terrified of this man, even though he's very kind. And he said, well, I would, I would be happy to look at some of your stories sometime." So I actually came in one morning before he'd be there. And I put my stories on his desk chair and like ran away, which is so absurd and unprofessional, but that's what I did. So my main job for him was basically typing his letters because he did not use a computer. So he would handwrite them and I would type them up on my computer and they were letters mostly to writers who had sent in short stories. And one day when I came into work, I heard him in the office, he had the door closed. I heard him like banging around and I was trying to figure out what is he doing in there. And I came back later that day from lunch and I had on my chair this letter. He had typed it on a typewriter. That's what he had been banging around in there doing because he was going to write to me about my story he couldn't ask me to type up the letter to myself, of course. So I have, still have to this day, the typewritten letter he gave me was so amazing. And he said, you know, keep sending me your work. And so I did. When I went back to college, I would send him a story every so often. And some of those stories he ended up giving to Lucy Prince, who was an editor at The Atlantic, who had hired me actually. And um, she contacted me and said, you know, I know this young agent who is just starting out. She was also an intern at the Atlantic, Brittany Bloom. And can I share your stories with her? So I said, sure, that would be amazing. And Brittany has been my agent ever since then. I mean, it was years before we had a book come out, but I met her in college. I was very lucky to have that connection. And we kind of have grown up together in the business. I worked at a women's magazine, Allure magazine for two years when I first came to New York. And then I worked at the New York Times for four years. And it was while I was there that my first novel commencement was published. And I wrote about half of my second book, Maine. And then that was after I sold Maine. That was when I kind of started writing fiction, more or less full time.
3: Amazing! I actually met Brittany about a year ago and like love her. So I see why uh, the you two have She's a great relationship.
0: She's the best. She's wonderful. Well, thank you
3: so much. Thanks for sharing your story with me and coming on my podcast. And I really loved your book and I'm really excited for it to come out. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes, tell your friends about it, spread the word. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Riley Versa for sponsoring today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.